Welcome, and thanks for joining the Closed End Fund Association for another discussion. Today, we will hear from an industry expert who shares insight on a timely issue affecting the Closed End Fund space. Hello, I'm Libby Haster, Content Specialist at the Closed End Fund Association. Today, we've gathered a panel of energy and infrastructure experts for a discussion about their respective market segments at large, touching on what's followed the recent string of storms in our homeland and the neighboring Caribbean. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's speakers, welcoming Chris Eads, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at ClearBridge Investments, Jim Pass, Senior Managing Director for the Municipal and Infrastructure Sector with Guggenheim Partners, and lastly, Rob Summel, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at Tortoise Capital Advisors. Thank you for joining me, everyone. Chris Eats, we hear advisors asking how the fundamental landscape of MLPs is reflected in stock prices. Can you speak to the current pricing efficiency of the market? Chris? Sure, Libby. In our view, there's been a disconnect between the underlying cash flow fundamentals of energy MLP companies and their stock prices. Cash flows and distribution growth are accelerating on average for MLP companies, and this driving accelerating growth for MLPs is a result of a rebound in U.S. energy production that we've seen thus far in 2017. Oil production actually bottomed in 2016 at around 8.5 million barrels a day, and it has since rebounded to roughly 9.5 million barrels a day. Natural gas and natural gas liquids productions are also increasing, and it is this growing production that is driving cash flow growth for the MLP companies that we invest in, not the price of oil and not the price of natural gas. Yet, MLP stocks are down 5% roughly year-to-date, and energy stocks have broadly been out of favor, with energy stocks broadly underperforming the S&P 500 by more than 20 percentage points year-to-date. So to some extent, MLP stocks have been painted with a broader energy brush, Yet, if cash flow and distribution growth continues as expected and balance sheet strengthening continues, our view remains that the disconnect between cash flow fundamentals and stock prices will close in time. So, as we sit today, MLP stock prices and MLP funds offer investors roughly 7 to 10% yields, with MLP companies experiencing accelerating cash flow growth. In our view, it's certainly not reflected in MLP prices when you look at the underlying fundamentals of the assets and the companies that we're investing in. Now, Rob Summel. Can you tell us how energy-specific closed-end funds are performing comparatively and where you're seeing advisors positioning these investments in portfolios? Rob? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Libby. So from an absolute return perspective, you know, the large flagship MLP-dedicated closed-end funds like our Tortoise Energy Infrastructure Fund or Chris's ClearBridge Energy MLP Fund have delivered a positive return for investors in 2017, let's say, say around 1%. Now, a positive return in any stock associated with the energy sector this year is almost unheard of due to the weak investor sentiment. So we think investors really underappreciate the significance of the energy sector. You know, the, sec- the energy sector is one of the few sectors in the S&P 500 that can say demand has increased 32 out of the last 33 years. Energy infrastructure assets operated by MLPs are even more critical. So you look at the global energy landscape, it's changing. And the tortoise, we think the U.S. is becoming a significant critical supplier of low-cost crude oil, natural gas, and natural gas liquids to the rest of the world. Now, to accomplish this, the U.S. will need MLPs to build more infrastructure. And we're beginning to see the tide turn um, as investors' views of energy are shifting from negative to positive. You know, what investors like about MLP closed-in funds is the current income potential. You know, we believe in the slow interest rate environment. Investors want current income. They want current yield. So MLP closed-in funds like TYG or CEM offer investors attractive yields of 9% plus 
We think these are very compelling when compared to other fixed-income income oriented equity securities like REITs and utilities that have current yields of 3 to 4%. Jim Pass, what is pricing looking like in the muni sector? Any comments on the infrastructure space? Uh, thanks, Libby. And, you know, what we do, and, and I think one thing in the municipal space in 2017, it's been a market that's had um, the benefit of strong fundamentals. We've had um, a limited supply and very, very strong demand, and, and obviously we've been able to continue a strong performance return picture, um, you know, throughout 2017. I think it's important to realize that even though we do have distressed credits, such as Puerto Rico and, you know, Connecticut, Illinois, and others, it's important that really the demand for municipal bonds in this environment has been very, very strong due to their income-generating issue. And then I think with the really with the infrastructure space, I think it's important to realize that really with the hurricanes, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, really demonstrate that, you know, the need to improve infrastructure, whether it's energy-related or transportation or flood control, whatever it may be, needs to be addressed sooner or later. And unfortunately, the infrastructure space, just like the tax net market, has a lot of political uncertainty at the moment, whether it's energy policy out of D.C. or tax reform. It is something that's hanging over the market, but it really hasn't deterred strong performance figures for 2017. We've talked a lot about the pricing of these vehicles, so let's go ahead and shift that focus to a discussion around their performance as income-generating investment vehicles. Due to their tax advantages and regular cash distribution, investors often look to municipal bonds, master limited partnerships, and closed-in funds for income generation. With many of these investments being tied to the infrastructure and energy markets, are storm risks taken into consideration when evaluating investment opportunities? Rob Summel, with Hurricane Harvey hitting Houston's energy production, refining, and distribution infrastructure in the area, has this changed how you evaluate energy investments going forward? Further, do you consider the effectiveness of local governments when you're considering opportunities in an impacted area? Rob? So Harvey was devastating, and our thoughts really continue to be with the people that were impacted. Um, you know, since our inception at Tortoise, you know, we've invested in energy companies that are both geographically diversified as well as diversified across commodities. Uh, you know, we believe that this reduces the risk of events like a Hurricane Harvey having a material impact on a company's results. So Her- Hurricane Harvey had the biggest impact on the U.S. refining sector, you know, with over 20% of U.S. refining capacity effectively halting the production of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel for several days. You know, now gasoline prices you know, initially spiked, but now we're coming back down. Refineries are returning back to full operation. But in general, consumer energy prices have remained relatively low. So in our view, it's been the people that are working in the energy industry, not the government, that really deserve all the credit for keeping low energy prices and, and the rapid recovery of the assets. You know, it's the people that operate these critical assets that protect and prepare these energy assets for events like Harvey. The other thing is advances in technology have played a critical role um, as well. And, and, and let me give you an example. You know, technology actually allowed many oil and gas producers to halt production from oil and gas wells basically from their cell phones in advance of Harvey. Producers were also able to turn production back on in a similar manner. Now, previously, it would have taken a lot more time and required a significant amount more of resources to manually turn off and turn on some of this oil and gas production that was in the path of the hurricane. Jim Pass, you're responsible for project finance. Let's go ahead and turn things over to you. 
you know, I probably similar to, um, you know, the comments we heard, I think it's important to realize that when you're looking at, you know, an equity position or a debt position in the infrastructure space or buying municipal bonds in a, whether it's Tornado Alley or the hurricane area or even earthquake, it's a factor that goes into the analysis, but it's one of the factors, not the driving factor. And I think it's important to realize that when you're putting together a infrastructure portfolio or a bond portfolio, diversification is important as well as different sectors. And, you know, whether you're buying a power plant or investing in flood control or hospitals and so forth, storms have different impacts um, on different sectors. And I think it is something that, you know, the market has adapted to following Katrina and other storms that have occurred, you know, in, in really recent memory. I think it's also important to realize that volatility is rather um, significant, both from a spread point of view when storms do hit, unlike a hurricane or a, or a tornado. Hurricanes take a long time to materialize, and we usually get a lot of good research information where they may hit. And I think that does uh, allow investors, as well as my team, to really understand what is the impact and, and what we should be looking for. But like we've seen in Katrina and others, I mean, defaults are rare, and really the volatility is much more in the rating agency perspective because the initial reaction is um, quite negative. But all in all, I think we're um, it's, it's a factor, but there's many other factors we consider as well. Thanks, Jim. Chris Eats, you noted that despite record winds and rainfall during Hurricane Harvey, energy infrastructure companies reported minimal to no damage to their assets along the Texas Gulf Coast. Do incidents like this affect your evaluation of MLP investment options, and will it going forward? Chris? Uh, thanks, Libby. I mean, first off and foremost, I mean, we're long-term investors, so we're not looking to uh, to trade these sort of events on, on any sort of volatility, and we're very much focused on what the intrinsic value is of the assets that an MLP owns. Now, that being said, uh, given that the storm, as you mentioned, did little damage to uh, energy infrastructure assets, our view of the underlying value of an MLP asset or even an MLP company certainly did not change based on uh, Hurricane Harvey. As a result of that, we didn't alter the composition of our portfolios based on the the short-term impacts of the storm. And if anything, uh, we were looking for opportunities to put some more money to work once it was apparent that the damage uh, was minimal. You know, looking forward, as was mentioned before by Jim, I mean, uh, storms, uh, whether it's a hurricane, a tornado, or an earthquake, are certainly part of the landscape for investing in these types of assets. Uh, but again, so long as the long-term value of uh, a specific asset is not impaired by that sort of an event, it's not the sort of thing that plays a critical role in our investment process or in our construction of the portfolios. Now that we're up to speed about where we are pricing and performance-wise, let's talk about the outlook for these market segments. Jim Pass. With your focus on muni bonds, I'm especially interested in your thoughts around the Puerto Rico muni market. It's no secret that Puerto Rico has long been a favorite for investment vehicles and commonly owned in national municipal funds. But with Puerto Rico in financial difficulty long before the aftermath of the hurricane, where does this leave existing positions and Puerto Rico's access to the market? Jim? Well, you know, I guess we're going to finish up with the tough question, but, um, you know, Puerto Rico is part of the municipal market and it's not the market. And I think it's important to realize that, yes, there is a debt problem, there is a governance problem, as well as there's a lot of political undercurrents that are going on. So, you know, I think it's important when you look at that, 
it's hard to separate the financial economy from the political economy following the hurricane in Puerto Rico. Just yesterday, obviously, the president had significant impact on prices. And, you know, really, it may be that crystallizing moment when people start making decisions rather than continuing on. From Guggenheim's point of view, I mean, we have very limited exposure in some of our institutional accounts. We have been reviewing opportunities where municipal bonds are insured by some of the remaining monolines that have investment-grade credits, and we do our own research and like those stories. But I think Puerto Rico is an area where time will tell, and it's a very opportunistic area, but also due to the political uncertainty and really the fluid nature of decision-making because you have the courts, you have the politics, and really the, um, um, you know, the exodus from the population that just doesn't paint a very, very pretty picture. But at the end of the day, it is part of the United States. They are U.S. citizens. And I think, you know, the role of the federal government, as well as the capital markets, needs to be considered because ultimately, your most important comment really was regarding access to capital. We have seen in municipal bankruptcies before that access does return. Issuers can issue bonds such as Stockton, California, Orange County, Detroit, and so forth. But here, being a territory and a lot of these undercurrents, we'll have to um, see what the really the resolution is and really what the recoveries will be, whether they're general obligation bonds or COFINA bonds or purely revenue bonds. But it's a complicated story and. It's not something that will, um, I think, go away anytime soon. But I think it's important for the listeners to really acknowledge that the rest of the municipal market has performed extremely well. And even during this time, it will continue performing well, at least in my opinion, from you know what is the, really the ultimate solution down in Puerto Rico. Chris Eads, do you see residual Harvey aftermath impacting third quarter volumes for MLPs? And what's the broader space as a whole looking like as we move forward? Well, I mean, there will be volume impacts from uh, from Harvey on third quarter results. I mean, production was shut in, refinery shut down, NGL fractioning plants were shut down, and all of these shut-ins or shutdowns will impact third quarter numbers. Uh, but I think the market has correctly looked through the short-term impacts of the storm and has been more focused on the minimal to no uh, long-term impacts. And as I said before, the ultimate value of the assets owned by MLP companies have not been impaired by the storm. But if there had been destruction of these assets, the dialogue would obviously be very different. But again, there was very limited to no lasting impacts uh, of the storm on MLP companies. As I look at the space looking forward, I I mentioned it uh, in an earlier question. I mean, investors need to be focusing not on the price of oil or the price of natural gas, but rather focusing on the volume trajectories of crude oil, natural gas, and natural gas liquids. Uh, and if the trend continues uh, up, and that's certainly our expectation as we look over the balance of 2017 and into 2018, you should expect cash flow growth from uh, MLP companies. And as I mentioned before, I don't think that landscape, uh, which is positive, is being reflected in MLP stock prices where they currently trade today. Lastly, Rob, can you share your forecast for the energy space for Q4 moving into 2018? Rob? Sure. So let's start with oil prices. So at Tortoise, we believe that U.S. oil prices will remain range-bound between $50 and $60 per barrel through the end of uh, 2018. Now, in our opinion, stable oil prices are the key, allowing the management teams that operate the most critical energy assets to differentiate themselves. 
And we do see the potential for some near-term events that could cause a spike in oil prices, you know, such as an OPEC production cut agreement being extended through the end of 2018, or a re-implementation of sanctions on Iran, or even more sanctions on Venezuela. Nevertheless, we do believe that if oil prices remain stable, then the environment is constructive for investors to return to the energy sector. In Tortoise, we have been calling for a second half of 2017 comeback for the energy sector. And the energy sector outperformed all sectors except for tech in the third quarter of 17. The energy sector was the top performing sector during the month of September. So we think the tide has turned and investors will begin to recognize the value in the energy sector and associated stocks. Oil and gas producers uh, are potentially shifting their focus towards returns and away from absolute production growth. This will allow the lowest cost producers in the lowest cost producing regions to shine. For the energy infrastructure sector, including MLPs, cash flow growth will drive value. And we see multiple energy infrastructure companies well positioned to grow dividends and distributions supported by a strong backlog of growth projects. Thanks for that update, Rob. And thank you to Jim and Chris for also joining today's discussion. To all those listening in, thank you, and stay tuned until next time's market update. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will stop by again for news on this ever-changing space. Until next time, connect with us on Twitter at at CEF Association or by searching for the Closed End Fund Association on LinkedIn and YouTube.